Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. This episode is brought to you by Retention.com. Retention.com helps Shopify stores make more money by growing their email lists 20 times faster and sending 10 to 15 times more abandoned cart emails. Want to learn more? Check out Retention.com. Book a demo to get two times more audience credits for the first 60 days. Now, over to your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone that's not tuned in before, my name is Nick. It's an absolute pleasure to have you tuning into the show today. For anyone that has been listening for a while, I say this every week, welcome back. It's a pleasure to have you joining us. If you haven't already hit the subscribe button, leave us a review on whatever podcasting platform that you're listening on, or if you are one of our new YouTube, I guess, watchers, I was going to say listeners, but YouTube watchers, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube, hit that like button. Um, you guys will be getting some exclusive content because you can actually see us. And some of our guests do bring little diagrams and other bits and pieces on. So if you've not checked out YouTube already, then go for it. If you are not going to use YouTube and you don't want to use YouTube, absolutely fine. Keep listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it might be. Um, I've been told to do a shameless plug today by my uh, commercial team, so I will, and I'll make it very short. If you want to sponsor the podcast, it doesn't cost much, and we reach thousands of people every week. So make sure if you want to sponsor the podcast, you go to winningwithshopify.com. Equally, if you're just listening, you're a Shopify merchant, you're a store, we are on the lookout for guests and we don't charge guests anymore. So it's a big change we've made going from last year into this year as well. So if you want to come on, it's completely free to come on, especially if you're a Shopify merchant, you've got something to share. Um, I'll be letting you know what we're talking about March onwards shortly as well. So yeah, we're always on the lookout for guests. So if you want to be a guest, reach out to us. We'll put you on the list. We'll keep you on file. We'll reach out as and when um, we're ready to, uh, to have you guys on. So anyway... We are continuing this series on retention. We had an amazing episode last week. If you didn't check out last week's episode, go back and check it. Um, by the end, we'll be using phrases like, if you don't know this or you don't do this, you are an idiot. Um, that was a direct quote from both myself and my two guests uh, from last week. So go and check that out. Today, we're going to be talking about retention and lifetime value growth. We're also going to touch on crowdfunding and a few other bits and pieces as well. I've got a very special guest because I'm not qualified to talk about a lot of these things. And in our industry, there are no qualifications. So I have a very special guest for me today called Isabel. Isabel is the founder and designer of a company called Last Object, a Shopify store. So without further ado, Isabel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm very excited about today's story as well, because we're going to talk a little bit about environment and sustainability as we go through, I'm sure. But Rather than me trying to explain what you guys do, tell us a bit, Isabel, about your background and your journey so far in Last Object. Okay. It always gets, the more years you're in a company, the longer the story comes. So I'm yep. going to try to make <laughs> this short, but uh, um, cool. well, my name is Isabel and I'm a designer by trade. And I started with um, two of my co-founders, this company, Last Object. And it all started actually because we made a reusable Q-tip and then the products kind of um, tumble down from there. And, um, and now we make uh, a lot of different reusable items that replace single use, which is our mission. Nice, nice. Well, we're definitely going to dig into this more as, uh, as we go through, of course. Um, so I guess really quickly, last object. So you guys make a lot of reusable products. So I guess a really important question to ask before we talk about lifetime value. And, and, and I should have warned you about this. We always do this. We've gone tangents. Isabel, first tangent for you is... Where do you source your materials for the actual products then, especially when they're sustainable and environmentally friendly? So what sort of materials do you guys use for that? So it's different for the different um, products, but our main goal is always durability. So we need things to be durable as the first thing. 
And then secondly, they need to be sourced, or of course, always sourced well, but then we look at materials. Are they biodegradable? Um, are they compostable? And then the different um, versions. But for example, tissues are made from organic cotton and all of our um, swabs have uh, two different kinds of plastic, but it's all uh, thermal plastic, very, very um, durable plastic. Our cases are made from ocean-bound plastic. So we're doing a bit of, of that too. Every, our swabs are actually only made in Germany now because this is the way that we can make sure that the whole cycle is kept in the way that we want it to be uh, so that everything is sustainable all the way through. We have some materials for around. They're sourced and there's a Swedish production. So it's it's all around, actually. I think our, our products are created and sourced from maybe 30 different countries. Wow. I was expecting sort of like four or five countries, but not 30. That, that is amazing. And I guess a, another question as well, and I'm again trying to think like our audience will be listening to this going, I've got one supplier and they're a nightmare to work with, um, which we won't talk too much about that because I know, I know generally if you've got a good relationship with suppliers, it's an absolute joy and it's really good to work with them. And you've got a question, they answer it, they support you with that as well. How do you manage that many suppliers internally? Um, especially you've got 30 countries and I imagine more than one supplier in each country as well. We have also, because we are a design company, we actually have a big part of the company that only does that okay that only goes and works with our suppliers um, one of my co-founders is like the leader of that team and um it's we use a lot of um, money a lot of energy and and a lot of time to really optimize this part of the company so I, I there's no like silver bullet there's no quick answer to like how you can make that it's just you really need to be aware test and don't be afraid of switching out when things are not working or if it's not being made in the way that you want it we've gone through a lot of different changes throughout their company but the way that things are now i'm very proud yeah yeah absolutely i mean it sounds, sounds amazing actually the amount and again we'll dig into this more as we go through so you mentioned you've got three founders there's obviously one of them which we just mentioned sources a lot of the products you're another one who does a lot of the designing so what does the third founder do are they the sort of commercial head or do they have a different responsibility it actually shifts around what we do because we're kind of like um Wherever there's the need for us, we kind of go into that role. So I would actually say that Nicholas, who's actually also my brother, the third member, he's um he's more like in he's more like a marketing digital officer kind of um yeah part of the company. He's he's a very business head, you can call him. But uh, but I would say that he he works really well in marketing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you've got a great mix then. So you've obviously got you guys in your team that design stuff and sort of, you said you move around, but where you are at the moment, then you've got someone else that sources all the products and someone else that then sells them, make sure you make a profit. Because one of the difficult things I think with sustainability is it can be so expensive to like melt down plastic and reuse it. And there's a whole, there's a whole conflict as well about the energy required to make plastic versus reuse and recycle plastic as well. Um, sounds like you've got a really good mix between three of you. It's almost like that kind of loop of, and then once you've made more money, you can design more products. And if you need to source more materials, therefore you need to do more marketing and more customers to look after as well. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of energy being put into actually what is sustainable because it, it's such uh, like you were talking about materials. Yes, that is also a way to look at it, but there's so many elements in how products or shipment or businesses are sustainable. So having that much energy and having so like people that are only working on that in our company. And yes, we are R3, but we also have some amazing people um, throughout the company that are also developing in different areas in where we need to move or where we can shift. And, um, and I think, yeah, that's amazing. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It sounds really cool. Just on sustainability, the thing that frustrates me a little bit, and, and I am trying to be as sustainable as I absolutely can. Um, we've made a lot of conscious decisions as a business and as a family um, back at home about how we do things. One of the biggest challenges, I think, is, is the science and things keeps changing. And I'll give you a really good example of something that's really big in the UK, and it's still getting bigger, but there's lots of questions about it. And that is carbon offsetting. So people say that when you fly to another country on holiday, you can carbon offset. And what they're doing is they're planting trees or giving money to a company that plant trees to plant more trees than to soak up carbon than you've used on your flights. But then there's all these counter arguments again, but your plane's still up in the atmosphere. So the fumes are going straight into the atmosphere. There's no tree in space, uh, you know, or up in the up in the sky soaking up stuff. So the science constantly changes, doesn't it? Have you guys had to find that you've actually sort of been doing something and then gone, actually, we don't think this is anywhere near as sustainable as we thought. And we've got to make a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, multiple times, multiple times. And also, as you say, like things change. So there's, of course, a notion about carbon offset that you can understand and you can try to figure out if, if you believe in, in that um, philosophically, almost actually. And then there are things like materials that actually change. There are some new materials that are developed. For example, I can give a very concrete example. Our cases yeah, please. Um, in our swaps, uh, they were all made from PLA to begin with, which is um, um, corn-based um, plastic. And we thought that was the best thing because it's completely corn-based. So there's no oil included in, in the creation of this plastic and it has no toxins. So when it dissolves, uh, it just yeah, it's it's good. You're good. There's there's no like not it won't leave anything. But the problem with that was that actually for it to disintegrate, it had to be discarded in a very spe- specific way so that it got the heat, some specific bacteria, all this to actually become nothing. And nobody did that. And that's why we actually shifted our focus and said like now actually let's do it in in um, in ocean bound plastic because then we're actually cleaning up and we got an amazing company to help us in, in all these different and really make sure that we can actually track and make sure that it actually is ocean bound plastic we're putting money into communities where they're cleaning up beaches and cleaning up waterways and it's it's really amazing to be part of that but that it didn't exist four years ago so things are also shifting new things are coming up people are um, developing different companies so it's a lot about constantly being in the loop and you know launching your product being you know 50% of what you want it to be and then slowly going toward becoming 100% yes exactly absolutely and I love that and I think something you've touched on that we'll talk about very briefly and then we'll talk about customers and what, what makes all of this tick because I know that's what, what we're supposed to be talking about today but uh, as I say we're on our first tangent I think the fact that you guys are making a commercial output from some of the things like cleaning up the ocean for example is really positive because the fact that you're then funding these communities to clean up plastic from the ocean and turning it into a product means that money can flow back the other way because I think one of the challenges is certainly with a lot of charity projects. And there's one that I, I don't know how big it is globally, but there's a, there's a company in the UK called Ocean Cleanup. Apologies if I've got the name wrong, but I, I've been reading about it on Sky News. have been doing a massive thing in the UK about it, where they've got this literally a boat just eating up plastic. Then it docks and chucks it all back on shore and it gets recycled or whatever. And then it goes again. One of the challenges is though, a lot of these things are funded not from the plastic itself. They're funded from like donations or it's just a company giving some of their profit over. Which is actually what you guys are doing i would say is financially sustainable as well because you're constantly buying this plastic from them which funds them cleaning up the environment more i mean they always say the best business relationships are always a win-win so if you can clean up the ocean make good products 
and keep funding that and keep growing that in scale whilst also inspiring. I'm sure there's people listening right now thinking we need to look at this. We could use some of that plastic, actually. We need to look at this sort of thing. So the whole thing starts to turn a little bit more, I think. Exactly, exactly. And that's kind of like also looking at it the whole way around. If you just fund something and that you need, of course, research, different things that you actually just need funding for to get to a level. And and I think that as soon as you have a material that you can actually use in production, it's amazing to use these so that it can start benefiting because we can we can make a difference so far with everything that we actually um make products out of but as you say then somebody else hears it and then they start making chairs and beds and and then we're really talking then we're really making sure that this is being cleaned up not just we're stopping or we're trying to um not throw out and and not have all this plastic end up in the ocean but we're we're doing both. Like we're we're stopping a flood and we're also cleaning up the flood. Yeah, absolutely. No, I absolutely love it. And I think sticking with that commercial element, let's move on to the next question then. And this this is around, as you say, is is getting some investment to get started to then start start this whole process of helping the environment whilst selling products, basically. You've got this economic model um churning, which is nice. Um I've been I've been told to ask you guys some questions about crowdfunding, mm-hmm. which I find a very interesting topic. So talk to me about crowdfunding. Is that how you started? Is that how you do product launches? Like where, where does that fit into your sort of marketing model? That's where we started. Our very first product, um, the swap, the reusable um, Q-tip is where everything for us started as designers. So we designed it and we put it up. We also just wanted, because it was a completely new product. Nobody had ever seen this before. So we had no idea if we made something completely hideous and just stupid and nobody's going to use it. And like, this is, <laughs> this is just crazy. You're just sitting here. And and we've had that a couple of times where we actually launched something that was really weird and good that we launched it there because that's preferred production. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was kind of a test, um, which is very sustainable actually in itself to test things out before starting to produce millions. Yeah. So we started on Kickstarter and the campaign just became massive compared to what we had imagined. And now it's a place where, because it's such an amazing community actually to grow and, and also for us to grow in is something like Kickstarter or crowdfunding in general, because this is people that want to test out. They want, they want new things, something that actually makes a difference, something that really is better, something that's innovative and they want to be the first. So it's okay that it's not completely perfect. They're like, okay, it broke, but you know, I still want the second one because I think you can make it better. And <laughs> I think this is this is such an amazing like community to be in, and we want to like n- nourish it, and we want to still be part of it. So we launch all of our new innovative products there. And um, if we make different variations, then maybe we don't. But it it dif- it differs. But when we really think like this is actually this could be cool. This is a this is an innovation. Then then we launch it on Kickstarter still. I love that. There's a few things you've mentioned back. We've had obviously people on the show that use Kickstarter or any sort of crowdfunding system where they're like, we're launching a new product, here it is. Or when they first launched, it's like, we know this product's going to be amazing. We've tested it. Everyone loves it. We can't afford to produce it yet. So let's get 100,000 units sold. Then we can order 200,000 units and we've got 100,000 stock left. I think it's a really good concept, but... I love that you mentioned about the weird stuff. I've literally written weird stuff down, <laughs> but I love that you mentioned that because I, n- I never really thought about it in that same way, but it is an amazing place to actually test things because if you find that actually nobody buys it, you can just refund those orders, can't you? And go, no one's interested. We're not launching this thing. Yeah. And we've done that. 
Well, it's just it's such a safe environment. Um, plus, plus the other thing you mentioned as well about the fact that it's, it's sustainable in itself because you don't then go and mass produce, like I said, 100,000 units or something, and then find we've only sold 1,000 and we've got 99,000 units just sitting around that we're going to have to get rid of somehow. You know, if nobody wants them, we're going to throw them away. But equally, let, let's talk about the customers because this comes, I think, to lifetime value and retention quite nicely is the customers you get, would you say they're more relaxed then? I think you used the word relaxed to say they're, they're more open to things not being okay. Yeah. Yeah. They know that this is the first one. They know that they are they're putting their money into also the innovation of this becoming bigger. And that's why it's an amazing community to be a part of because you can also ask them questions. So we use a lot of time in our research and design um, part of the company where we ask them, okay, now you have the product. What did you actually think? And come like, you know, be be completely honest. Like, can we improve in different things? Because then we can already implement on the next thousand items all of the different things, most of the different things that they actually mention. And and some of them maybe take longer, but but then it's in the top of our minds. They're willing to put in time and energy to sit down and actually fill out these forms. And I think that's amazing. And that really helps. Um, they also just comment and it's it's just an an amazing community so it's yes they're they're easy they're not going to be haters and uh, most of them <laughs> but but they will also give you feedback which is the most important mm. thing nice nice and the feedback i mean that that's amazing i i was going to ask do you feel like you build more of a community using something like kickstarter than just selling products on your website but you've already answered that that it's a community in itself and they're part of the innovation i think it's so important i guess a big question is what what do you do with that feedback then so do you just keep it internally and go they like this part of the product but not this bit so we're going to change that or do you actually use it as part of your marketing part of your communication strategy to other customers yes well we mostly actually use it to to change our products up. So, but I think we use it mostly to find out, you know, because we can see quite easily what, what really evokes people and what really, what's the most important thing. Sometimes I've been like, Oh, I want to change this for the second uh, prototype or the second round. Like I really want this and this to be changed. And then we ask the community and they're like, yeah, yeah, that would also be nice. But this and this and this is just better to start with. So I feel like it's part of our design process. I don't know if we use it in our marketing um, as such. We use a lot of the comments in our marketing, um, like reviews and things like this. It's not only internally, it's also externally. No, it's good. And I think, I mean, certainly adapting the product is a massive benefit of it. Um, I know some companies go so heavy with it to sort of say like, oh, could we get you all your thoughts on a video? And then they use it as their Facebook advertising and the actual video that pops up of people saying like, I love this product because it does that and it does that. And I want it to do this. And then it cuts to the designer, you know, yourself who says, oh yeah, when they said what they wanted it to do this, well, we've designed that now. This is how it now works. Is It tells the story. And I think um, we're always encouraging brands we work with to be less of what I call a marketplace where it's just like, here are some products and it's like free delivery, buy it now, good Trustpilot reviews. It's really boring. And there's nothing for a, a customer to actually buy into. Whereas you guys, you have the story, and the, but the story is so much deeper than just here is a product that's sustainable. The story is we've developed them with our customers. So actually, if, if you want to come and share something, we want to listen. So come and talk to us and we'll tell you that lots of you told us we want this product to do this. Therefore, we've changed it. So 
it's, it's certainly amazing. And I guess the big question, I know the answer, this is going to be yes, but if you could fill in more information, what does that do to your lifetime value and the, and the actual engagement of your customers and how much you retain them? Yeah, but that that is how we retain them. <laughs> we don't Good. have that many other <laughs> options. Um, but uh, yeah, no, no, it's it's very important for us to do this, to retain and to to also make sure that the whole experience, even down to the packaging, how you open it up, how's that, how was that? And some people have felt like um, a certain... Um, for example, uh, something that is very sustainable, they don't feel it's sustainable. And then it's kind of the mix. We want people to feel that they're really sustainable, but we also want to do the sustainable thing. So I think that, um, but all these comments and everything that's that's happening around um, is really guiding us to what is important. And I think you're very, very, it's very, very true. I see a lot of companies and when we've done any like things around the way where we've been too markety, you know, been too, oh, this is amazing. Just come and buy it. Just, it's just a click away. You know, it just, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't give anything and it doesn't. And especially if you want to connect with a real community and connect with people that will love your brand and not just maybe buy one product. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think, I mean, we've always had the phrase in in sort of sales and marketing of like features tell, benefits sell. And I think it's about getting that benefit across that this is good for you and it's good for the planet. You know, and actually yeah. the two the two need to be interlinked. Yeah, I think I think it's it's massively important. I guess going into a technical question, then how do you guys mostly communicate with customers? Obviously, you got the Kickstarter program. You send out feedback forms or talk to the customers afterwards. And um, how do you communicate normally? Do you guys do it traditionally over email? Is it mostly through social channels? Like, what do you find makes your customers tick in terms of engaging with you guys? It's different. Like we have we have an amazing. I think. When we really want, when we just relaunched a product, for example, it's mostly like um, surveys. We we need, you know, a lot of voices and we need it to be thorough so that we can make the right changes. And uh, this is mostly very text-based, but it's not very back and forth. Emails are really good in the way that you get that connection. All of the reviews, we have like one huge Excel document where we have, where we get all the reviews to tick in there automatically. And then it's, everything is searchable. So we can go in and we can just search for one specific product and we can see what happened yesterday. And this is more, this is a more, you know, this is to us. We don't communicate from the Excel sheet that much, but it's a lot of data. So for us, it's very important to have it in a fashion so that we can we really can use it and it's not like it won't take us a day to dig into it but it only takes a cup of coffee i think that's the most important when we have to use all of this to actually create different things in marketing and design and um yeah and how we want to talk Um, yeah yeah, absolutely um but yeah instagram back and forth it's not you don't really get that like deep conversations that i love so then you have to go pretty personal and you have to go pretty deep with a few that really interacts with you and says like really answers different things then then we have like we actually wanted to to take uh, out like 200 of like our top uh, communicators or like top and this typically also people that have all of our products so <laughs> and just like have like ask these 200 people to test a new product before we even launch it because i i think we'll get more out of that than it's the best spent money and time yeah, I think, I mean, a few bits of advice I would give to every store based on what you've just said. Number one, and we've had Yotpo and um, Trustpilot both uh, sponsor the podcast previously and both on the show. We do a lot with those guys, um, both in the UK and the US. Put all your reviews on a spreadsheet. 
And we, we, we say to, I think it's a fantastic bit of advice. And we, we say a lot to our clients, if you've got all this data coming in from Trustpilot, do you actually look at it? I mean, a lot of our clients respond to reviews saying like, I love this product. It's fantastic. And say, thanks, Dave. <laughs> That's kind of it. <laughs> and it's like, we've been saying to them a lot, read the sentiment of them. Look for the problem ones. Actually, every one star review is your most valuable. I wasn't happy about this. You know, like this product arrived. It, it feels like plastic. I don't believe them that this is, you know, an eco-friendly. I don't believe it can go in the bin. And then you respond saying, it absolutely can. And if you want, we're doing a live demo of this next week. So feel, please do tune in and have a look at that. But again, it, it's like, okay, we need to be stronger on that message because people aren't understanding this. But I think putting in a spreadsheet, I mean, I'm a big fan of spreadsheets. I have clients that tell me not to use spreadsheets because, yeah, they're just too complicated for some people. It's not very visual. But I think just having the data in there is, is so invaluable. As you say, you can just do a quick, you know, control F and find something in it to go, how many people are talking about delivery right now? How many are talking about this new product? How many people are mentioning the word swab actually in their reviews and, and talking about that? particular thing i imagine that the um yeah certainly the review platforms if you're listening now you're probably sitting there screaming going this is a great idea put them in there but let, let's talk about the feedback bit itself because you mentioned about how shallow you use the word uh, you want to go deeper with people how shallow social media can be and i've never heard anyone describe it specifically as that but it really is like on, on some social platforms where you're limited to how much information you can actually put on there and how much you can actually say, like, you know, Twitter keeps changing its mind, but there's only so much you can write in a tweet and you're not going to learn enough about the business. So how do you guys, like in terms of the sort of process and technology, when you've got these VIP testers or you're speaking to your, you know, we call them sort of VIPs, the people that have one of every product, how do you guys actually engage them? Do you just pick up the phone and call them? Do you email them? Do you get them on a Zoom call and ask them questions? Like, what does that process actually look like? Ooh, I want to do everything that you just said, but uh, we, we email them. <laughs> okay. Um, and does that then start the conversation? You just ask questions over email. Do you, do you ever do focus groups where we actually meet up with customers and sort of sit them in a group and talk about stuff? No, no, no. they're all around the world. And also I think that okay. our, our, our hardcore, yeah, it would be everywhere, but I'd love to <laughs> actually do that. I never even thought about that. We had some like focus groups at one point in the beginning um, to try to collaborate, Lee, but in some way, it's it's just when I get the masses, that's where you really make a difference design-wise because then suddenly, you know, you have 50 people saying the same thing. Then we can't, then we can't, you know, keep being like, it's too hard to change this or this is not going to happen. Yeah, then it's yeah, like, yeah. okay, we have to, we have to change this. Yeah, and then that's been the best experiences and the best decisions. So um, I really like when when we have a lot of people that we can ask the same question. Yeah, yeah, that is that, that is good. And I think, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I guess the VIP customers are good as a kind of loyalty group and even getting an email from you, you've probably now got them for life because it's like I've, I've spoken to one of the founders. They asked me questions. I replied. They sent me something back saying thank you. But equally, I think you're, from a design and development point of view, you're absolutely right, definitely with the masses. I think... We, we've definitely had brands before that have kind of phoned us as the marketing agency in a panic and gone, one customer has just told us the products uh, are too expensive. So we're discounting everything. And we're like, don't do that. <laughs> you know, you, you need the masses. You need a majority of, you know, not sorry, majority, but you need a lot of people to tell you the same thing to justify that's where you should go. We've also had the, the similar one, just to tell a very short story. Um, we've had a similar one where um, clients of ours have got on Zoom or we've got around the, the table to have a coffee and catch up with them and they've said oh someone i know from the pub 
Um, he said he's making millions out of Facebook. So we're going to spend loads of money on Facebook. And we're like, this is not a quantified marketing strategy. This is someone said, and like, we don't know if it was true. We don't know how, we don't know what they're doing. You know, like we can try it, but don't start throwing all your money at it. Like it's a terrible thing to do. And I think you're absolutely right. Getting that, that kind of mass approach to things um, is, uh, is super important. So. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, and, and asking the question when you also want to ask it, because I have a good example, actually, we just uh, launched a detergent, um, laundry detergent sheets. And, um, and it's actually, it's, it's pretty up and coming right now. Um, there's some different, very few brands that are doing it. And we've made like the cleanest that are, that is on the planet right now. And we just uh, put it like kind of quietly on the website, like soft launch. And we just ordered some in and we did the packaging and everything. And, and then we asked them, we had it like throughout the um, Christmas and new year. And then, um, here in January, we, uh, we took everybody who had one that we knew and then we emailed them and the responses has been amazing because now I'm doing a new vamp of the packaging, but also of the actual, um, you know, producing new ones. And so we're going to make a new size and we're going to package it different. We're going to have completely different branding they were very like they were so detailed about like why they liked when it closed or not or how it flipped and how they have they took pictures of where it was standing in their um <laughs> nice. you know at their washing machine and like somebody had put it up on the board and said like mm. this worked and this didn't it was just the information that i got throughout like one week was just wow. mind-blowing like that i wouldn't the changes that I'm making now, I would never have done that if I didn't have all that information. So Amazing. it's it's just valuable in so many contexts. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I hate to bring it back to marketing because now we're talking about designing products, but from a marketing perspective, if everyone's sending pitches in saying, you know, it looks amazing next to my washing machine, well, then you make that part of the pitch, be sustainable. It looks good. It's neat and tidy. Oh, and the product's amazing. On the, on the top of that as well. I guess a, a really good question to ask is about questions. What sort of questions did you ask to get that feedback? Did you just sort of say, tell us what you think? Or did you ask specific questions to say, do you like the way it opens and shuts? Or did you just say, what do you think of packaging? You know, how specific were you? Well, we, have some, we had some things that we knew we were going to change up. So we were very like direct about that. You know, is it too <laughs> big? Is it too flat? Does it fold up? Is it nicely like, and, and we had a lot of, so there were some a bit more targeted questions but the most amazing answers that i got were from the more open-ended so how does this work in your everyday life what was a good measure like what on the packaging where did you say like oh i want this were you confused about something so many people are confused about so many things i hadn't even thought about so i think that's the best but it, but we also got some cover that we knew we were going to change but we maybe didn't know how or if it was important or yeah i mean it I'm glad you're saying this because I'm a big advocate of customer feedback. I think we certainly with newer brands we've helped launch, we get to kind of two or three years in and they're making lots of good sales, but lifetime value is bad. Um, as a particular client, I won't mention their name because I know they're, they're, they're listening to our podcast at the moment because I told them to. Um, they just need some ideas. They need some. They need to hear from people like you um, in terms of how you've gone down that journey. But they've never got any feedback from their customers. So I did, um, if you're listening, you know exactly who you are, by the way. Um, but I did challenge the managing director and I said to her, you need to phone your customers. Anyone that's bought more than twice, 
which is a very small amount of people, anyone who's bought more than twice, phone them and ask them questions. Why did you order a second time from us? What was it that brought you back? Did you realize you bought twice from us? What was the packaging like? How good's the product? What other sorts of stuff are you in the market for? And see where that leads. Now, they, they've got their sales team to make the calls now rather than the owner. But yeah, the sales team are going to be making some phone calls and asking people, you know, what, what do you like? What do you not like? What would what do we need to do to make you buy again from us? Is a really good question that, that we've put on the list as well. And I think the first person in the sales team had made about 10 phone calls and I got an email going, we're changing everything. And I was like, just wait, get more. You know, you need more than just 10 people. But, but again, as you said, that feedback is so important. We always say um, in our business, like we don't know what we don't know. So we'll work with what we do know and find out what we don't know. So if you don't know who your customers are and what they think, you need to absolutely speak to them. And so I guess a big part of your bringing it back to, um, you know, so my, my initial question about 20 minutes ago about lifetime value, customer retention. Do you believe, do you know that it's because of that engagement? It's because you're asking customers for those bits of feedback. Do you think it's because the product's so strong? Do you think it's the branding? Do you think it's a mix of everything? I know it's a very big question. <laughs> it's a tough question. I think it's different things. Um, customer retention has been so difficult for us because okay. it is because we are making reusables. We're making and we're we're not in the business of creating a lot of crap, and and we don't want people to buy too much, and we don't want people to to buy it if they don't want it. You know, it's we buy something that people have for years. And I think that the the reason where we're successful and the reason where we also do have people coming back and that it and that it talks into that people talk about us in relations to other people and that's why we're successful is because we have um our value is set and our our, our products are are designed not overly designed but really and we've really been around them and of course we're trying to create a brand around it we're trying to make it readable and eatable and not that you should eat our products, but you know, it, it's easily <laughs> digested. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. it is a tough topic. Um, I just think that the, the, yeah, I think that the thing that is really going for us is actually our community is that we keep listening and we keep changing up and, and we're not stubborn. We're not going to sit on, on old ideas. Um, and we're not going to create something that is not amazing. Well, you're the first brand who's ever come on here and said, we don't want people buying too much stuff, <laughs> which is brilliant. But I get completely why. I think it's a, an amazing part of, um, certainly part of your, your brand message and also your story. I guess the final thing to kind of finish with then is if people want to find out more, if they want to read about your journey, if they want to get in touch, what's the best way for people to get hold of uh, hold of you guys? What's the website? Well, yeah, to, to read about us or find everything, it's just lastobject.com. Uh, I would say we're very active on Instagram. Um, so you can always be like updated on new products and new launches or if we're trying to get a group together about um yeah a super group um of <laughs> testers different things like this um that's definitely yeah it's the easiest thing to easiest way to get in contact with us and then um, if you want uh, more dialogue then it's email and then it's laughter <laughs> <laughs> hello at lastobject.com <laughs> nice amazing amazing i always like it when people plug an email as well because it's a come chat to us we will we will reply um and certainly start a start a conversation with you it's amazing but um isabel look thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today it was it's been a pleasure to be on your show amazing thank you <laughs> well thank you very much and um yeah for everybody listening um i hope you've enjoyed today's episode i hope this has inspired you to send these guys an email and find out about how you can become more sustainable better materials you can use and also how you can ultimately lower your, your carbon footprint as much as possible or even start to clean it up 
if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you hit the like button and um, hit subscribe if you haven't already. We post every Friday, so make sure you never miss an episode. Subscribe to our mailing list um, or also hit the subscribe button. You can tell I've just come out of a commercial meeting telling me to plug all these things on the podcast. So thanks so much for listening. You've been great. Back again next week. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group by searching for Winning with Shopify on Facebook. Over and out.